My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. In this episode, we speak to veteran in politics, James Sunderland MP. James very recently left the army as a full colonel after a career spanning decades and is the senior ranked veteran alongside Colonel Bob Stewart in the House of Commons. We think James holds the record for the quickest transition from army service to standing up and serving again in politics, having completed all of this in just six days when he then found himself as an election candidate. We speak to him about this and he goes on to reveal an amusing anecdote about his first encounter knocking on doors in that election. You just never know who you might meet. It's time for you to listen to the conversation. But uh, great to see you. And this is really important for me because uh, I've just transitioned um, out of the armed forces. I did it in six days, um, which I think is a record. Um, But having gone through that journey uh, and jumped into public life, um, you know, I do have some some nuggets of hope for you. And, um, you know, the message really for me this evening is, you know, do not underestimate who you are and do not underestimate the skills that you've got because, uh, by God, you know, you are good. And uh, Civvy Street will stamp you up, no problem at all for those that are still transitioning. Um, so, you know, for me, it's a it's great optimism and um, we're in a good place, I think. Well, we're delighted to have you here, particularly, James, as you already alluded to, that kind of flashed a bang. Um, we had um, Dan Jarvis the other week, who had a similar kind of story to tell, a very short transition from the military right into politics. But why on earth did you choose to become an MP in the first place? I wish I knew, actually. I think to answer the question directly, um, I've been on the circuit for a while, actually. I have helped Gerald Howarth and Aldershot with his electioneering from 2010, been a party member. The itch has always been there. But it got to a point where it became a bit of a scratch and then a festering sore, and I could ignore it no longer. So uh, when I left command, the 27 Regiment, I made the decision there and then to go for the Parliamentary Assessment Board. I got through that in 2017 and um, been working quite hard behind the scenes, you know, not overtly because you can't really do that as a serving officer, but getting to know people. Um, uh, and then the opportunity arose for Bracknell and I jumped at it. Amazing. I mean, you've already alluded to the fact that you did go for parliamentary assessment board back in 2017, see, following your command. But what groundwork was required whilst you were still serving? How did you prepare? Because as we know, it's quite difficult, quite restrictive as someone serving in the military. What were you able to do? What kind of advice can you offer those dialing in this evening that might still be serving, thinking about it? 
Well, I mean, I, I had I had two jobs in a row that were a gift for me. Um, commanding officer in uh, in Aldershot, I was a task force commander uh, for West Surrey. So you get to meet people on the civilian side of life. Um, and also, it's very important that we maintain those contacts in, in civilian life. And then when I became the commander of the Army Engagement Group, I had two and a half years, I mean, the best job in the Army by country mile. And uh, it was a case of getting to know people, councillors, politicians, just doing the networking. And I can't stress enough how important networking is. I mean, I hate the word myself, but actually it's quite surprising how many people you do accumulate over the years in terms of networks. And because my networks were so good, um, I, I just made a point of going out there, meeting as many MPs and councillors and you know, serious people as possible. And I suppose without droning on, for me, I, I just got lucky. I think I just met the right people at the right time. The opportunity came along. As I said, I went for it. So do you think, um, in terms of the networking piece, is that something that lends itself naturally for those of a military background? Did you find it quite easy in that role and in terms of that transferable skill into politics? Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd be amazed at how transferable your skills are. Um, you know, whether it's communication skills or leadership, teamwork, that sense of loyalty, integrity, camaraderie. I mean, civilian life is crying out for that. And and I can tell you, having just gone through it, that, that you know, your stock and our stock as service personnel is really high. People will pay top dollar for those skills. And we don't realise we've got those skills until we get out there and see what's around us. But, uh, you know, do not undersell yourself at all. And, and uh, I didn't. You know, I was very lucky in the sense I knew what I wanted to do. And um, as I said, I could talk about the Pacific um, story. It's quite an interesting one with, with after Bracknell Foamy, what happened then. But uh, as I said, it was because I was well-placed, because I'd shaped it, because I've been on the circuit for so long, um, that actually I knew exactly what was going to happen when it happened. Okay. Did So in terms of that transition journey, you know, many people will be familiar of going through the Career Transition Partnership and going through various workshops and preparing the ground so it's as soft as possible for when they land in civilian street. Did you have, um, what was harder, transitioning out of the military or transitioning into politics? What would you say out of the two? I mean, but both difficult. Um, I mean, I think the benefits of the CTP, whether you're two years out or six months out, what's really important there is that what you're doing is you're preparing your planning, you're shaping your future. And without me really realising it, I had been shaping my future for three years before I actually left the army because I was pretty clear on what I wanted to do. And when Boris Johnson called the election, um, you know, it, it suddenly happened very quickly because so many members of parliament resigned at that time. So many vacancies um, suddenly became available. And actually, if I'm being candid with you, um, CCHQ, I think, was scrabbling for candidates. Um, so they had to resort um, you know, to sort of scrape the barrel for me. But uh, as I said, but John, just to, just to drone on for a second, I think the important thing for me was that leaving the army is not easy, um, yeah. but the CTP is designed to help you through that so that the day you hand your ID card in, you're already a civilian, you know, in many ways. Um, and I didn't really think about it at all. I didn't have a chance to, because when you go from one institution to the next, I was in headfirst, learning curve, absolutely vertical. Um, I didn't even have a chance to think, oh, my God, I've left the army. I mean, it was literally uh, – I'll tell you a funny story very quickly. Um, I, I, when I got the call from Bracknell on the Monday morning, I was told, put your CV into Bracknell. The CV went in on the Wednesday. I was shortlisted, and on the Friday, I went to the selection meeting. 
and I turned up to my dismay, there were two other ex-military candidates there. <laughs> so Bracknell had shortlisted an all-military um, shortlist. I got through on the night. Um, you know, I found that quite, quite a stressful experience, but I was well prepared for it by virtue of being the Army Engagement Group commander. Mm. And then um, I've got to tell you this. This is it's, it's a great story. And then what happened was um, that night, uh, at midnight that night, I've been selected as a candidate. I went into Sandhurst, opened my computer up, and I PVR'd there and there at the machine. Wow. And I put in for something called a non-compliant PVR. And when you tick the box that says parliamentary candidate, all sorts of things happen very quickly. So there's and a the box f- in there for parliamentary candidate? Yeah, there is. You, you specify at the bottom parliamentary candidate. There's a little box that you tick. Okay. Um, hasn't happened very often, to my knowledge. I think, I think Dan Jarvis was the last one that did that. Um, but all sorts of things happen. And then the following morning, on Saturday morning, I was woken quite early from Glasgow. My desk officer, Cooker, said, James, what on earth are you doing? You've just PVR'd. I know. Why have you PVR'd? I've just become a parliamentary candidate. <laughs> when do you want to go? And I said, well, the election's in four weeks' time. I need to go now. And he said, well, you can't because you've got a seven months notice period. And I said, well, I really want to go now. So he said, OK, fine, get back to you. And then on Monday morning, CGS's outer office phoned me and said, James, you know, what have you done? You know, when do you want to go? And I said, now. And then for the rest of that week, having been a candidate, um, I couldn't knock on doors. I couldn't canvas at all. Wow. So that was a week of the campaigning gone. And then a, a brilliant last anecdote um, on the Saturday morning having just become a civilian, went to this very, very, very posh um, row of houses. First house we came to, we knocked on the door, and this chap I recognised came to the door and said, oh, I've already voted for you, you can go away. And it was John Redwood. So, John, what a great start to my political career, knocking on your door and, and getting that wrong. But uh, three weeks later, uh, went to the, um, went to the count in Bracknell, um, won the seat and uh, became an MP. And it has been quite daunting, yes. Wow. That's amazing. I guess you, you've not, what a story. I guess you've not really had time to think about what it means to be a veteran and, you know, that kind of transition. Um, we, we've spoken about this quite a lot on the call, actually, about the identity, authenticity, who you are, particularly those that have left the armed forces. It's something I've come across when working around employer engagement and people come to terms of, you know, when they're getting themselves ready for their careers. But you're sort of flashed a bang, as I said, it's been so short and uh, how you've had to kind of overcome that and sort of like the family and all those bits and pieces. It's a, uh, oh, doesn't even bear thinking about. <laughs> yeah. I think you well, are. It, was, it, it, it was interesting actually having first become a candidate because um, people just went for me straight away. I mean, you know, the uh, activists in Bracknell were quite active. They, they, they went for me. Um, the Lib Dem candidate called me a liar on the first four occasions I met him. And of course, and Labour being particularly active in Bracknell were all over me as well. Um, but in a strange sort of way, I had a very easy campaign and I've had a very easy run as a member of parliament, I think, because of my background. When people, I think, are wary of me and people don't want to take me on. Um, and, and I think coming into public life with that credibility of being uh, a serviceman um, has given me a bit of an advantage, I think, in, in terms of protocol. Um, but we could talk about Parliament and the way it operates, but, uh, but, but I felt all the way through that I was still an army officer. I don't think I've really left in my mind. I think I'm still serving in my mind. I'm just going to work in, in a suit. Um, and because I'm so passionate about the armed forces and the army in particular, 
you know, I intend to be a, a champion for the army. Um, and, uh, and actually, I do see myself as, as being more vocal in the House about military matters. But when you've got four good ministers, um, all four ministers in the MOD are all ex-military, there's yeah. fantastic credibility there. And uh, I think we're very well served at the moment by ex-military personnel and politics, 45, of course, in the House. Yep, indeed. And we released that research afterwards, and it was great to see you on that list. And uh, you've already mentioned about the kind of things you've had to dig deep into. You've mentioned service. You already feel like you are continuing to serve, which is great. Great to hear. Are there any kind of specific skills that have got you through, let's say, some difficult times already? Because let's face it, there has been some pretty ugly periods within the, the first few months of this parliament. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in many ways it hasn't been too bad because there's a great sense of uh, camaraderie amongst the Tory MPs. Um, and I think previous people have mentioned the 109, that kind yeah. of back to the new intake, and we've had quite a few of that intake on these chats. Yeah, the 109 groups we call ourselves, it's actually 107 people, but we call it 109 for some bizarre reason. In fact, the reason behind that is because Conservative Home counted wrong. They counted it as 109 and released an article that there were 109 new Tory MPs in the House, actually 107. So it's quite a nice little quirky story that we're still the 109. But yeah, it's a great sense of camaraderie, um, ranging in age from 25, uh, Sarah Brickliffe, of course, um, up to somebody, I think, in their 60s. Um, so it's a real spread of experience. But I'll tell you this, and I don't want to be political at all. Fantastic bunch of people, a fantastic group of very left-leaning, very grounded new MPs. And, um, you know, even now, you know, Boris has realised that he cannot operate without the 109. When you're one third of the parliamentary party, um, you know, and you're there to make a bit of a, a, bit of a stamp, it, it's quite a powerful group. But um, it, has been, it has been great. Um, and I can see no weakness there either. I can genuinely look at the 109 UMPs, myself accepting perhaps, and think that CCHQ probably got it right. Mega. Well, that's certainly been our experience um, from you know the conservative side that we've seen on these calls. Um, I mean, Alicia Kearns um, and uh, Darren Henry recently, we've had on these calls, Stuart Anderson, all from that new batch. And we've been deeply impressed by their authenticity, their um, experience and their reaction. But um, in terms of your You've, you've said that you're there to champion the armed forces, which, you know, preaching to the choir here. But what do you really hope to achieve as, an, as a member of parliament? Short, medium, long term, any, any big things that you hope to achieve? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm there to serve my constituents. I mean, Bracknell's given me the opportunity. Um, I feel hugely privileged to have had the opportunity and I'm there to serve them. So that comes first. Now, when you set your stool out and you make a decision, and you come out on public record, you're damned if you don't, and you're damned if you do. And that's one of the perils that we all have going to public life. Is there any golden nuggets of advice uh, from the first few months, from your relatively short journey from military service, transitioning into political service? Any, for the guys on the call right now, um, what would be a couple of little ditties you'd give for them to go away and think about if they're considering public life, whether that be local government or, or parliament? I think the first thing is that uh, when you're serving, um, there is a certain reliability around you. Um, people think the same, you know, they act the same, they're well trained. I call it unifying purpose. There is a wonderful unifying purpose in the military in any unit, 
where people work together towards a common aim. That is not the same in City Street. And I think having to deal with that, having to deal with the different forces pulling against each other. And I, and I think in many ways, you've got to, you've got to set your stool. You know, if you're going to be true to yourself, then be true to your principles and don't allow things around you to, to affect the way that you think. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is, it is a dog-eat-dog world out there. Um, clearly, I'm in politics. It's going to be. But, but actually, you know, and I know we can't get political, but, but, but the opposition are very clever. Um, they're very good. I mean, at the moment... Um, if I can mention Labour, I mean, you know, they, they, they're, they're clever people. They, they, they know your weaknesses. They're running an insurgency campaign. You know, it's the classic Marxist principles of disrupt, deny, delay, destroy. That's what they do. So you have to get used very quickly to the personal attacks. You've got to get used to it coming in at every angle, 24 hours a day. Just get used to the negativity and the trolling. Um, you know, for me, I'm very lucky. It's all for Doc's back. It doesn't bother me at all. But, but I think you just need to be able to operate very quickly in an environment which is alien to the one that you're used to. Well, counterinsurgencies for many of us won't be, of course, um, but albeit we don't expect to fight it on the home front in that way. And I've spoken about it before, the transferable skills, the experience of some of the more practical skills of fighting counterinsurgency and how you, you are in a constituency, in a campaign, completely, if you get your headset uh, in that, that frame of mind, it will certainly do you some favours when looking at, at politics, that's for sure. We have to do more for our 2.3 million veterans in the UK. Um, the Americans are leading the way at the moment, uh, and you know we, there's more we can do here, and we're going to do that here as well. Uh, and just want to say you know, thank you to all of you for your service. Um, you know, Do not underestimate what you've got to offer. Um, you're all very talented people, and civilian life is crying out for good people. So uh, on CVs, sell yourself, you know, don't settle for less, hold out and, and, and follow your dreams. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.